the Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. Culture here at the Trilogy Podcast. Ah, yes. Do you feel soothed? I do a little bit. I too feel a bit I, soothed. I feel like I should be by a pool with, you know, an Italian view or a villa or some sort. With these words ringing in your ear, Trilogy Podcast, the only podcast in the universe devoted strictly to trilogies. Ah. No reboots, no straight to cables. We're bringing you trivia, facts, debate, and more to hell with the movie. If they made four, Scott. I can feel the stress melting away. And you know what? People might think that this is something like The Godfather. You know, the opera features mm. prominently in The Godfather Part 3, for yes. example. Yep. But no, Scott. No. For this is the soundtrack to the first of three films we do trilogies here, Scott. This is the Bad News Bears trilogy. Bad News Bears. What? Yeah, baseball season's coming up. We're getting psyched. Yep, and last year, baseball. around baseball season, we did Major League. And right. we thought it would be appropriate now to do the trilogy that inspired Major League. Truly. And, that, and, you know, many other sports films. Indeed. So many sports films, both kids sports films and adult sports films. Right. And, you know, we're keeping it real with you, ladies and gentlemen. Over the last couple of episodes, we've done these gigantic, grandiose films. Thor, Star Wars. Yes. Every trilogy is in the same size. See something a little bit lighter. Right. You know? A little lighter for the... Breezy summer season. Right. So, you ready to do our business? Yes. All right. First and foremost, as always, we got to break down what kind of trilogy this is. Right. All right. As always, we're going to throw it to Trilogy Bot. Here he comes. Robot lives with me, has an attitude. We're sick of the attitude now. We're past it, both of us. Yes. The Bad News Bears is a Gang's All Here trilogy. The continuing adventures of a group we have come to love. To sum it up, kiss my ass. Yet another Gangs All Here trilogy. We have so many of these, Scott. Yes. A lot of Army of Ones, but a lot of Gangs All Here trilogies as well. Sure. I mean, what's better than one guy? Many. Bunch of guys. Right. Maybe a couple of girls. Maybe a few kids. Why not? Well. It's a gang. A lot of reasons, maybe. <laughs> I guess you can't have kids in gangs. <laughs> um, some gangs. Yeah. Depends on the aim of your gang. Yeah. Sometimes the fiercest gangs are child gangs. Indeed. You know? You see a kid come up, you think nothing of it. Suddenly, there's a knife in your throat. Where did it come from? He's got little pockets. You don't expect kids to have anything in their pockets, and then boom. That's why I'm also knife. afraid of chimpanzees and small monkeys. I mean, not they, that I... Because they have knives? That they're they're cagey. Yeah. They come up, here. could I have some food? Sucker. And, and they're ripping they your fucking you. eyes yeah. out. Oh, my eyes. Not we talked about this a little bit before when it comes to these uh, Gangs All Here trilogies. Um, they can either be a forced ensemble or an unforced ensemble. So right. this is truly an unforced ensemble in that these characters are put together by circumstance. They didn't choose to come together sure. for an aim. Whereas, but they eventually come together. They sure they do. You know, mutual but, respect. Right. But the forced ensemble is when, say, the Ocean's Eleven gang or the Expendables gang purposefully come together to complete a task. They seek each other out. Yeah. They're the best of the best. Right. These are the worst of the worst. Great designation. That's what we're looking for. Okay. So I think we have nothing further to talk about, but uh, to go on to your plots, my friend. Get into the plots. All right. Scott's plots. Just stop right there. Let's not add anything to that. Just you saying the word Scott's plots with no adornment around it is probably enough, right? Scott's plot. <laughs> uh, Why is your version of Scott's plots always this high? I voice? think I don't know if it's like I, I, like an '80s sitcom kind of like. He's doing the best he can. I don't know, like. Coming across the land, Scott. Uh, these are the plots as per usual. Uh, it's going to be a sort of uh, no frills information, bare bones, uh, whatever you want to call. Very. Uh, uh, non-specific information we here. assume you've probably seen the first of these films yes bad news bears but this services uh i think anyone who has not seen the films want to catch you up yeah it'll tell you basically what happens without 
learning any characters' names or anything like that. Well, just the basic gist of what happens. These in are the trilogies. Movies. It's a sum of its parts, so yes. all of them are important. Of course, of all right? course. So you even when away. they are unimportant, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I mean, the trilogy. If, if it's an unimportant trilogy as a whole, the no, movies are still important and. You really just muddled what I was trying to say there, but that's I'm okay. Sorry. All right. Semantics. I'm just saying they're all important. Sure. Here we go. The Bad News Bears. 1976, the year of my birth. An alcoholic and retired baseball player <laughs> is hired to coach a little league team of misfits who were added to an elite league after a lawsuit. Is there really no one else that can coach this team but... But right. Walter Matthau here? Yes. He seems like perhaps the worst possible candidate. Well, I mean, he was probably the only candidate that guy could get. He he was a re he's a professional baseball player. Yeah, but he's a minor leaguer. He's probably a local guy who does he was pools. Like, he does. I can throw a couple of grand at this guy, and he'll listen. This is the this is the mid seventies. It's not a couple of grand. I'm throwing seventy five dollars <laughs> at him, and the coach is happy to drink beer and collect the check. Until they get beaten badly in their first game. It's not even just beer. It's an array of every alcohol and brand ever made. But he's usually got the beers, the little cooler of beers in the dugout. Well, you know, this is at a period of time where being an alcoholic still had really legitimate comedic value. It wasn't looked down upon in the same heavy-handed way right. that it is now. Yeah. I mean, you had stand-up comedians... Whose whole like Foster Brooks' whole point was that he was at a convention. He was a conventioneer, a drunken guy. Dean Martin. These yeah. were lovable lushes. That was their the whole character. Yeah, but it's also like I find other characters because it's the seventies. There are other characters who are just walking around with beers too at times, and you're like, is everyone an alcoholic, or was this just accepted as like, yeah, you can pretty much drink wherever you want. No, but he was really he's king of the winos. Like, but right. <laughs> king of the winos. Yeah. It's a uh, high anxiety reference for you. All right. They get beaten badly in their first game, and the opposing coach tells him to drop out of the league. The coach decides to start coaching and even recruits a few ringers. A girl who he trained to pitch when she was younger and a star athlete turned local bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you interested in local bad boys? I don't there's know why that came There's no one more dangerous in this town than the kid who rides and makes donuts at the local baseball field. What a jerk. He's, He's just see... ripping up the baseball field. Like, yeah, I could be really great on this field, but instead, fuck you. And I'm that's just all he does. He up. does it over and over and over again. Yeah. And constantly, every time, like, damn you, we said don't come back. <laughs> There's no security. The police are bumbling. It's another symptom of the 70s here that the police are just kind of laughed at. It's true. Down at the ballpark. It's true. Down at the fields. Yeah. They start winning games and make it all the way to the championship. During the game, the opposing coach smacks his son when he won't follow an order. That whole part of the film is muddled in there. It's confusing as to why. Because yeah. so many other terrible things are going on around this movie that his striking that kid doesn't seem so bad considering the circumstances and what he's saying the circumstances were. He was like, he was going to throw. He could have killed that kid. He's throwing the baseball at him. Right. All right. Well, it's true. I mean, I mean, he kind of did smack throw at him, him private, but you know. Trying to win a baseball game here. <laughs> like, the point is, throughout this film, adults are manhandling children that yeah. often aren't theirs in public. No one seems to care. Yeah. The coach realizes that he has been just as competitive and that winning isn't everything. But that's what happens, though. It happens too fast for him. He goes from not giving a shit at all to caring so much that he's telling the kids to do the wrong thing. He's trying to find moderation to his alcoholism and his personality. And he puts in the bench warmers to finish the game. The team is able to rally and load the bases, but they do not win. The coach tells them even though they didn't win, they've come a long way, and they celebrate. No, oh, they don't exactly celebrate. The opposing coach is like, you know, we got, the team's really got something to tell you, you. we respect yeah. you. And the Bears are like, fuck off. And that's when they celebrate. Yeah. I, just, I only say that because I think that twist is a really great twist on that happy ending where they earn the bad team's respect and they're like, we don't want your respect. I think we that's want to what, win. Right. Yeah. I think that gives the Bears, the first film, a little bit of an edge. It yeah. kind of goes along with the edginess of the yeah. film. 
Rather right. than, yeah, the, the the bully coming back and like, oh, I was wrong. I'm being like, it's okay. Exactly. And somebody like, no, fuck you. I don't care if you if you realized you're wrong now. You made my life miserable. It's good. It's a good suspenseful moment at the end there. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, moving right into the next film. Uh, this one is entitled The Bad News Bears in Breaking Training. 1977. The very next year, I was one. The next season... The team is off to Texas to play another championship Little League team and are assigned a new coach. The kids decide they don't like the new coach and hit the road to Texas without him. It's never, I've never seen <laughs> a less supervised group of, right. of children in history. Yeah. Well, that's I, what I think is funny is like, you got to think like the writers writing the movie were like, like we don't have Mathau, so who else can we? Who could we possibly put in Mathau's shoes to replace him? No one is the answer. So they just put no one. They had a guy come and they went, "Nah, we don't like this new guy. He's not Mathau." Like, how old is Kelly Leak in this movie? Oh my god, he looks like he's like eighteen years old, but he says he's thirteen. Yeah, he's young enough to be on a little league team, not the high school baseball team, on yeah. the little league team. Right, but he's somehow old enough to pass for. An adult with a driver's uh, yeah. license? Uh, yeah. Well, he put sunglasses on, so he's good. 70s, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what all adults looked like. They had sunglasses and a hat and smoked cigarettes. That was real, so reassuring. He looked <laughs> at the cop on the road. He looks over, and he's like, let me put the sunglasses on. These won't me, make me look any suspicious sh- yeah, at all. Or, yeah. or shady at all. <laughs> and the cop's like, well, he put his sunglasses on, so that must be an adult driver. And then he waved at me, so obviously yeah. he's good to go. Like, yeah. But I, I love they all cheer. After he's put the hat and glasses on, the cop moves on like, yay, like we didn't fail immediately. We've been on the road for four and a half minutes. <laughs> the movie and hasn't the movie immediately ended. ended. Yeah. When they arrive, the bad boy gets in touch with his estranged father and asks him to coach the team. With the help of bad boy's dad, the team gets back into fighting form and are ready for the game, which will be played between a professional baseball doubleheader. These kids are completely off the map in Texas till they show up. Then suddenly they're in the newspaper. Well, that's what's funny is it doesn't seem like this game is very important to anyone. Even in the 70s, though, in the casual 70s. Yeah. That is an ongoing motif in these films. There's surely you still had to prove that you were the best in something to go and play there. Right. They were just rolling in any little league team. They're like, oh, yeah. you need the team from El Paso to come in? The, the second place team. How do they have such easy access to the press in the second and third films? Whenever they want it. You want to make a statement? We all forgot about you. Well, here we're here in Texas now. Big game. Big, big game. Very important. <laughs> we sandwiched it between two other games. That's how important yeah, it is. Two, two Astros games. Yeah, professional baseball kids. Let's say that again. Not... The Astros of today, the Astros of yesteryear. Yes. The first half of the game, the team is being beaten badly, and the stadium tries to call the game for time. The team protests. They are allowed to play, and they end up winning the game. Yay. Ah. All right. And now the adults will play. Yeah. (laughs) Get to the good game. (laughs) Uh, We'll just move right on to the final film in the series. The Bad News Bears go to Japan. The very next year, 1978. Scott, I was two. A TV promoter sees the team being interviewed about possibly playing the Japanese Little League champions and decides to take the team to Japan and televise the game. Again, another example of no one having any authorization to do anything, no rules. They briefly mention, like, your parents have seen this and they're cool with it. And now we're going to bring you all together without them to sign contracts that you don't understand. Right. Yeah, and they have this new kid step in and take a really big role, too. That's because in the third film, they they lost the Brainiacs. They needed a new... They needed someone to, to be the spokesperson for sanity. Right. When they arrive, they are beaten badly by the Japanese team, and the promoter must now convince people that the game is worth televising. He does this through a series of appearances on Japanese television, where he creates fake animosity between the teams. Just baffling scene after baffling scene. Scott, please tell me that you were also reminded of Smokey and the Bandit 
in that <laughs> yes. the third film here is just one incomprehensible scene after another that does they don't make sense, and you're like, what's going on here? Right, yeah. And, and there's also someone who's the lead actor, and you're like, why is he the lead actor in this movie? Where's like, the baseball in this baseball yeah. movie? Like, there's a whole, there's a good, a solid 20 minutes of just guys breaking boards and bricks and shit <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> That's one of the craziest scenes. It goes on and on. It just keeps going. We get it. I we get tell you, the point. I, I wasn't even tired, but I was falling asleep during this movie because I was like, my God, it's mind-numbingly boring. It makes you think that Antonio Inoki's Wrestling Federation in some way is paid for this film or produced it. Well, I, I think Sony was involved too as well, right? In uh, some way. They have their names on their jerseys at some it's point. Too so I feel like funny. this might have been like a Sony project of like, let's do more movies in Japan. And that's why a lot of movies were going to Japan at the time. Good point. Maybe. But it was also, I think that was also a gimmick that's for the time. That's me spitballing. I'm, I don't know if that's No, true. no, but I also think it, that was for the time a, a wild, exotic place still. Right. And so you could set a movie there and make it the gimmick. Right. So, And there was still a lot of people thinking about, you know, Pearl Harbor. And they named the, their P.O. box as like 41. They're like, we got that from Pearl Harbor. I'm like, that's kind of fucked up. You named your P.O. box after a bunch of people dying? <laughs> cool. It's one board, then two boards, then arms. Then we get it. <laughs> you can break boards with we your body understand. parts. Enough now. <laughs> Meanwhile, the bad boy is falling in love with a Japanese girl. Or so. Following around a girl who doesn't sp clearly doesn't speak English. There's a language barrier in this movie, and they refuse to, like, they don't put subtitles or anything. Where are the subtitles? So the scenes are just, even, you know, the characters don't even know what's going on. I'm surprised you were even able to cobble together a description of this plot with no it's subtitles. It's almost over. <laughs> There's not much to it. Like. I know. The day the game comes, we're already at the end. Yeah. The day the game comes and the promoter hires three ringers to come in and play, which upsets the team. Ugh. When one of the ringers starts an on-field brawl, both teams decide to quit and they finish on a dirt lot nearby. Yeah, a riot happens. Yeah. A riot happens. Yeah. People walk out. They want their money back and shit. The promoter blows off his contractual obligation and refuses to make the team play. <laughs> Scott, the end. you're not including the two, the end of the two significant love stories. Sure, you have Kelly Leak and the girl that really he has nothing in common with at all. And it really goes nowhere. I mean, at the end, they're like, yay, they're well, together. But... She shows up and doesn't he hit a home run? He's inspired by seeing yeah. her. The other love story is the insane scenes between Tony Curtis and the and other the, coach, and right? The other yeah. Coach. What? It's like really it's it seems like the movie should have just been a buddy movie about him and another Japanese guy trying to make a TV show. It shouldn't have even been a bad news bears film. Not no. enough of it has to do with them. Most of it wasn't. Like there's there this movie I think I think you could actually say it has zero baseball in it. Every one of these other movies is about how they're bad. Like, they're not good enough to beat the team, so they have to find someone to make them good enough to beat the teams. But in this one, they just suck, and then at the end, he's like, oh, well, because we suck, we'll do better. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, now we have something to fight for. Like, didn't you have something to prove earlier? You're coming to Japan. Isn't that enough to prove something Aren't to the, the world? Aren't high enough? It's going to be on TV. Mother of mercy, I don't speak Japanese! <laughs> now, Scott, when I say to you, director Michael... Richie, who helmed the first film, what do you think of? Well, first thing I thought of was I wonder if he's related to Guy Ritchie. That's the first thing you thought of? Yes, he's the director of uh, Snatch. and I'm familiar with who Guy Ritchie is. Married to Madonna for I, a little while. I know about that. Rocco is their son. I think most people, though, would know him from the, the broad 80s comedies he directed, okay? So he directed the Fletch films. Oh, okay. Which were big successes, all right? Um, he directed Golden Child. Oh, okay. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, um, but the whole thing with Michael Ritchie is for every success he had, he had a bomb too. So he's a very uneven director. Cops and Robertsons. With was a Chevy, Chevy Chase. Chase and Jack Pounds. Right. So he's using big names and sometimes they're hitting with the Eddie Murphy films, but, but sometimes they're bombing. Sometimes they're Cops and Robertsons. So yeah, that's Michael Ritchie. All right, the director of the first film, which was, without question, the most successful of these three films. Yes. Okay. I'm not even going to mention the second director because there's nothing to say. 
But I will tell you something interesting, Scott, about yes. the director of the third film, oh. the Japan film. His name is John Barry, and he's one of the people that was named as a communist during the entire Red Scare in Hollywood. Really? Yeah, one of the um, Hollywood 10 that turned and named names. He was one of the names that was named oh. by that namer. <laughs> and uh, consequently, he moved to Paris and only in the 70s popped back in directing gems like Bad News, Bad Bears, News go to Japan. Bears Go to Japan. So. so you're saying he should have stayed hidden. Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? One of the issues with um, Bad News Bears in terms of the cast is that very few of them were in all three films. Right. You have about half of the kids appearing in all three films. Yeah. And the most significant one and the one that's worth mentioning the most is going to be Jack or Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley. He played the leak character in yes. the and the the badass motorcycle baseball diamond destroyer and he was a kid actor. He disappeared entirely, moved to Texas, became a director of television commercials, hmm. then popped up out of the blue when when it was suggested by his friend Sean Penn that he get back into acting and was nominated in his first film back in 2006 for a film called Little Children, where he played a child molester. And he was just nominated all over the place. But then after that, he's done a lot of films. He was in Lincoln. He was uh, Freddy in the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Why are you screaming? I haven't even caught you yet. <laughs> he was also Rorschach in Watchmen. Is that Which right? Is the, I know you uh, like that movie. The graphic novel, the Alan Moore graphic novel. Uh, okay. At the time, they kept saying it was the most celebrated graphic novel of all time. Well. Which I think that's deba debatable, I think. But um, Mao's. It's a great, great book. How is he in it? Um, he's great in it. He's great. Really? I think, I think he actually kind of nails Rorschach. He gets caught by the cops at one point, and they, and it's a pretty famous scene in the graphic novel in the movie, but they pull off his mask. And you haven't seen his face at all in yeah. the thing. And as they pull off his mask, he's screaming, give me back my face. Give me back my face. Like, really? he's fucked up. And Bad News Bears is when they grab him off his moped. Yeah. They pull off his helmet. And I was dying laughing because I was going to give me back my face. <laughs> of him getting his mask torn off. Yeah, yeah, My face! Give me back my face! Um, oh, he's also in the RoboCop reboot. Yes, he is. Yes, you're so, right. Uh, that sucks, by the way. Well... We won't even talk about it because it's not a part of the RoboCop trilogy that we're going to be covering. I'll probably soon. mention it when we do the RoboCop trilogy. No, though. I'm not going to. I'm not saying we're not going to mention it. Just right. not right now. Not yeah, right yeah. now. I'm not going to give. Just know when I'm we not... get there, it sucks. All right, we'll get when we get there. We get there, Scott. <laughs> now I know. Thank you for your cooperation. You know what? The only other actors that were in all three films are kids that basically did nothing. I'll just mention who they are. You had um, Aaron Blunt, who played the Abdul Rahim character. He was in all three. Uh, and again, he, after these films, he did nothing. Um, although he did an episode of Good Times. Damn, damn, damn! David Pollock, who played Rudy Stein, was in all three. Yes. As was one of the Spanish kids, Jorge Gonzalez. Yeah. The funnier of the two. And that's basically it. These are children that, for whatever reason through the course of their careers, but I think more realistically, the fact that they were getting older and didn't look and sound the same didn't make it back. That's kind of the problem with, you know, trying to continue a kid's property, too. No question. I mean, we talked about this in Karate Kid with Ralph yes. Macchio and how old he was getting, and they basically threw a Ralph Macchio into the second movie, by the way. You know, I well, don't like you ripping off my great observations, but you bet your ass that was a Ralph <laughs> Macchio character. Um, I think now's as good a time as any, though, Scott, to mention Walter Matthau. Because we're going to jump sure. right from here. We're going to jump right into the first film anyway. If it weren't for him, there wouldn't have been sequels, I, I believe. So I agree. Worth talking about. I think it was the presence of Tatum O'Neill who sold the first film. Indeed, she received a percentage of the first film and got by far the largest salary of anyone. Really? Remember, Tatum O'Neill was an Academy Award winner at this point. She had won an Academy Award for the movie Paper Moon and was the youngest Academy Award winner in history. Right. Okay, so she was the hot property here. Hmm. All right, but it was Walter Matthau who drove this film and made it what it was. Yeah. Okay, so when you talk about Matthau, what I think of, Scott, is a guy who's always played an old man. 
even when he was young, yeah. he was an old guy, right? Like yeah. an Abe Vigoda, always old. Curmudgeonly, always just kind of... Okay. And his most famous roles reflect that, no? Yeah. So Grumpy old men. Grumpy old men, all those. I'm going to come back and say all of the Neil Simons. Okay, so he was both Odd Couple films, the famous one and the shoddy sequel. Right. And then also the Sunshine Boys. Right, that's right. Which he was nominated for an Academy Award for. He won an Academy Award for um, for Fortune Cookie in the 60s before the bags really started inundating his face. But he always right. looked like an old guy. Yeah, gravity just affects him more than most people, I think. Man's crazy, loco, always hanging out around those kinky strip bars. You know, mm. the ones where the men take their clothes off? Oh, I think it's always fun to note that one of the biggest bombs in film history is a movie called Pirates, directed by Roman Polanski in the 80s, where Polanski had his choice of any leading man to play the major pirate, and he picked Walter Matthau? <laughs> I'm a pirate. <laughs> I'm going to swashbuckle. So, I want your treasure. The perpetual squint. He squints through the first three quarters of this movie, then he opens his eyes, and you're like... Something, a revelation has taken place in Walter Matthau. He's awoken. He's awoken now. A movie's going on. Yeah. I farted and I'm afraid to move. The music by Jerry Fielding in the first film, I think, is something special in that he uses basically the music from the opera Carmen, which we referenced early in the podcast. Yeah, kind of heightens the uh, stakes a little bit. Yeah. It's something... You know, it does. It's an interesting take. He's known for doing action movies of the 60s and 70s, hard nosed pictures. Yeah. And so this was a bit of a departure for Fielding, and it's it's pretty good. It's interesting. Yeah. There is no limit to what some men will do for money, especially a man like Morris Buttermaker, even if it meant coaching an unlikely group called the Bad News Bears. I like uh, Matthew starts this movie out by pouring out. One for his homies in the car. He cracks that beer open and just pours it out of the car for some reason. I thought of that too, Scott, but I think that was to give room for the whiskey that he was following up in that can with. Oh, maybe. He instantly pours whiskey in it. I don't think... make himself a Boilermaker? Yeah, I don't think he was cracking one for the home. I I didn't see him put the the whiskey in there. I think more realistically, he might have done that to get rid of uh, some a head or some That's what I assumed, but... No, no. Yeah. So he could make the drink more potent. Is that a pe- something people did then? A few years ago, I wouldn't have dreamed of inviting myself over to Michael's place. People would have said it wasn't respectable. But times have changed. And when you're giving him Harvey's Crystal Cream, it's more than respectable. It's downright upright. If things were really like this in the 70s, how did any of us, how did I live? How did I, I was born in 76. How yeah. did I make it to the 80s? Yeah. But I also think that this is a great snapshot, though, of this time and place. 1976, San Fernando Valley, California. Yeah. Where the people have enough money to and climate to have swimming pools in their backyard. But there's an overall trashy pale that hangs over all these characters and people. Yeah. Is it because we associate all the drinking and shit and smoking with trashiness now? Or does it feel trashy? What do you think? I mean, it's just, it's, I guess... It feels that way just because we've kind of pushed it out of movies entirely at this point. There's no real, you don't see a whole lot of cigarette smoking in movies, or at least not. You wouldn't see it in a movie like this. Yeah. They would never allow it. If it was a movie involving kids, kids and shit. And drinking. And they're drinking beer at the end yeah. and stuff. Like, no, that would never fly today. And at the same time, maybe they didn't know certain things. But I, but wouldn't you know that a kid can't drink beer? Isn't that something that's in, in this? In the first five minutes of the movie, a 12 year old is. Lights an adult cigarette for yeah. him. And he's like, Thanks, mister. And yeah. you're like, Why did you call him mister? He's so, a child. Buttermaker is drinking and driving throughout this movie. Yes. Okay. Constantly. Young kid is smoking. There's. I keep wanting to call him Butterbeer. You would be thinking Butterbeer. Because he drinks beer the entire time and his name is Buttermaker. Okay. I was thinking of Boilermaker, which is what some of the kids call him. Right. Yeah. So some of the what? kids call him Hagrid. The rest of us are. All right. I'm no Harry Potter fan. You know that. I know you're. I know I'm I'm I, a butterbeer fan. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hardcore butterbeer fan. I feel like I just made out with the gingerbread man. It's delicious. Really casual 
you can't even call it racism because there's no animosity behind it. it but it's it's casual, you know, profanities. Well, it's, it's casual. all Tanner. Yeah. Tanner seems to be the one who's really got the issue. But because he's a kid, I think it reflects maybe not the, the racism, but the profanity reflects exactly how kids use profanity. When you're in sixth grade, you use it all the time for no particular yeah. reason. Yeah. You just abandoned. do. You're yeah. discovering it. Right. Uh, now, you the, almost say it to shock each other, right. too. You know, like, We didn't say racist things like that because of my time and place, maybe. Right. But we certainly said over-the-top crazy sexual things we were that age. Sure. To each other. Because you're figuring out just vulgarities, right? Yeah. Jews fixed niggers and now a girl? Right. Well, he's, I mean, he's a kid, so you can't right. really blame him, even though, you know, he's saying these awful things. You know, I think it's a good a time as any, though, to mention that I think that Tanner is the best kid in any of the films, without a doubt. I think the actor playing Tanner is the most natural-sounding he's, kid. He's the heart of the team, yep. really. He can go low when he's sad, easily low, and kind of almost talking to himself. Yeah. In the way that maybe a, a Daniel LaRusso almost seemed to talk to himself. And yeah. he can also do these big bursts of... Hey, Yankees, you can take your apology out of your trophy and shove it straight up your ass! Um, the whole team is in the car. That's another thing in the 70s. But I can verify that parents did not treat driving around with kids in any serious way in the 70s or even the 80s. Yeah. No I car seats or anything like I that. I stood up in the back seat of my mother's car when I was two, three, four years old. Stood up. No yeah. seatbelt. No one thought anything of it. You got the banquet at the Pizza Hut. You know, I it's just. It's extremely dark in the Pizza Huts in the 70s. Yeah. Like, they show it, like, he's having a beer, and then I look down at the glass, and it says Pizza Hut. I'm like, oh, they're still at the Pizza Hut. Okay. It's, it was dark, Scott. It was very dark. It was dark at the Pizza Hut, Scott. I guess huts were darker back then. I don't know. I don't know, man, but it made sense at the time. I don't know about you, but I like to be able to see my pizza when I'm eating it. That's all. Why? Because I want to see how good it looks. As long as you're eating it, Scott. Pizza! In the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. I, oh, I do want to quickly mention, I feel like I should have mentioned this earlier, but uh, there is a trilogy that references this trilogy. Go ahead. Uh, it's Austin Powers. That's a right. gold member says that. So I, I thought, throw that in there somewhere. No, it's worth mentioning for sure. And now, <laughs> it is time to say goodbye, Dr. Evil Shordersh. Which, for you, is bad news bears. Walter Matthau. Uh, it only cost him 30 cents for that burrito. Yeah, I was thinking about that, but shit right? didn't cost anything. You owe me 30 cents for a burrito. Like, look at a sizable burrito a for 30 cents. A person graduating from Harvard University with a master's degree in 1977, starting salary was like $24,000. Right. Money went really far. Yeah, not anymore. Especially not for burritos. Can you buy anything for less than a dollar these days? I'm going to think about that, Scott. Oh, also, the scene where they introduce cups into it the groin we're halfway through the season it's regulation but you only thought to bring it up now after Do you just want to see them put the cups on is that after this is a about? fierce legal battle with the city where both <laughs> sides were at odds for many many weeks yeah finally the verdict has come in yeah. you must wear these protective cups fine we'll add them into the league but they all gotta wear cups no one else wears cups just them <laughs> what what are you saying? I've been brushing up on my Spanish of late, and I think he's saying something about, you know, his being uh, Catholic, and it's a sin. Oh, for Christ's sake. I tell you what, though. They really show good baseball basics. These are all things I learned in Little League yeah. that he shows them. The baseball is good. I think the baseball is great in this film. They show the progress of the team throughout the course of the season. They go from having to forfeit to completing a game to losing by one to going on a winning streak once they get a good pitcher and a good cleanup hitter. Right. As we talked about when we did Major League, uh, the baseball kind of gets worse as the movies go along. Without question. Where baseball sort of, as the movies continue, becomes a background. Takes a back seat. Rather than being the focal point of the movie. By the third movie, you're like, Jesus Christ, does anybody give a fuck about baseball in this movie? You're going to Japan where they're supposed to really care about baseball and there's no baseball in the right. movie. All right, boys, let's get back to basics. This is a baseball. And you know, we should take this time because we mentioned him before. This is when Kelly Leak decides to join the team. Yes. He's manhandled by Vic Morrow. But now. Yes, poor Vic Morrow. Poor Vic Morrow. We all know what happened to Vic Morrow. 
Some people might not. Well, I'm going to tell them right now, Scott. All right. Hold on to your popcorn, folks. Vic Morrow was one of the actors in the Twilight Zone film, which was a compilation of four separate short films by different directors. Right. All based on old episodes. Right. Uh, was carrying two Vietnamese children through some water. A helicopter above his head crashed because of one of the explosions, one of the errant explosions, and Scott, it beheaded him. It decapitated, yeah. And but so that's and you know that's the thing that most people know Vic Morrow from. He played a tough guy, cops and soldiers, throughout the 60s and the 70s up until here. Yeah. And that's what he's famous for. <laughs> It's kind of, I mean, there's a lot of similarities to these movies with Karate Kid, I would say. I agree. Um, there's the... What's going on in the San the Fernando sl- Valley? There's the slave labor of getting kids to do work for you and shit. Again, like, what's going on yeah. in this part of California I don't in know. the 70s and 80s? I don't know. What don't we know? What don't we want to know? Oh, there's some weird, there's a little bit of weird dubbing in this, like usually during like the fight scenes on the field. There'll be like a line thrown in there, but it doesn't sound yeah. like a kid. It sounds like an adult pretending to be a kid. <laughs> like, who are you calling a faggot? Like yeah. at one point, and I was like, what? <laughs> it's always a strange profanity or like... Like they were like, all right, I'll say it. Like we couldn't get the kids to say faggot right. Yeah, so has, I anyone, have to like... yeah, has anyone said Pollock in this film yet? Somebody <laughs> yeah. throw it in. Yeah, any other... God damn it, dub that you know, shit and throw it in. Next movie, we need a WAP for sure. <laughs> for sure. Uh, when, not just a WAP, but the fucking whoppiest WAP whoever whopped <laughs> yeah. his way through California. Uh, we're both Italian. I think that needs to be pointed out. <laughs> we're self-deprecating. Yes. Pizza in the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. That scene when Mathau, I guess, realizes that he's being a bit of a bastard, and they show like every kid's face looking at him, just yeah, like no response whatsoever. And I'm like, there's something very like there are moments in the the film where I'm like, that was very impactful, very effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the kid getting him slapping the kid on the mound was like about Mathouse splashing her with his beer, talking about, yeah. don't you realize I don't want your company? Yeah, pretty like, cruel. Whoa, pretty she cool. walks away crying, shot of him in the dugout drinking and crying. So there's yeah. depth to this comedy. Yeah, I'm a bum. No, you're not. You taught me how to pitch. You taught me how to. Ah! Damn it! Can't you get it through your thick head that I don't want your company? If I did, I would have looked you up two years ago. I wouldn't have waited two goddamn years. So that was kind of interesting. And in general, though, Scott, I really like this movie, and I love the baseball at the end. That is a long yeah. scene of baseball. You basically see the whole game in the same way that the whole season is laid out for you. At the end, not only is it just the game, but a series of different conflicts and emotional events happen that all make sense yeah. in the form of this game. And Matthew forming a strong emotional center to the film. Yeah, great film. One of my favorites. Now, the boys that almost destroyed the great American pastime will continue their fun with the Bad News Bears in Breaking Training. Scott, I dare you to explain to me what the hell this title means. I feel like I'm an educated person, and I don't understand what in Breaking Training means. I don't understand why it's just not Bad News Bears 2. Well, they're Breaking Training, Scott. Bad News Bears go to Texas. Like, it would have been fine. Now you're just making way too much sense. I know, you're right, I'm sorry. Okay, well, most of the kids are back. Recast the fat kid. Yeah, and I gotta tell you, this poor fat bastard, they make him ride that bike at the beginning of the movie, yeah. and it looks like it's just so uncomfortable for him. Like, he's just you know, kneeing himself in the tits, like, over <laughs> and over again on this fucking bike. Like, let him walk in there. How about somebody drops him off? Like, get him a wheelchair if you need. Like, Jesus Christ. Early in the film during that scene when they get their original coach... We see a delightful little part for Dolph Sweet, who in later years would be the lead of the sitcom Give Me a Break, starring Nell Carter. You know, Scott, this sitcom. Give me a break, now I know what it takes. Putting a new face on the old one, gonna take your face off. All right, that's not the next lyric. Sorry. He actually died in the middle of that sitcom, so it just became a Nell Carter vehicle. But initially, it was her and that old crusty guy wearing Who's those. the coach at the beginning? Yeah, Dolph Sweet is his name. Dolph Sweet. Yeah. I recognized him immediately as I was a big 
big Nell Carter fan when I was a big Dolph Sweet fan. Who wasn't at nine? Love Dolph Sweet. Stop saying the name. Kelly Leak is back, of course, and he's kind of the main guy in the movie. We talked enough about his ass. Yes. But they bring in another new player. Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about Carmen Ronzoni? Uh, he's an Italian stereotype. Carmen was, he's named after, they obviously used the opera Carmen's for the first movie. Seems like he belongs <clears throat> in a Bronx tale. Ronzoni is also a brand of pasta. Of course uh, it is. So that's lazy as shit. He might they, as well. they literally added, I looked in the in the credits when they list his name, it's two ends, Ron Zoni. And I'm like, go fuck yourself, it's two ends. They might as well have named him Pizza Pasta Seriously. from fucking yeah. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Yeah. With that kind of a stereotype. Pizza Pasta. <laughs> pizza. In the morning, pizza in the evening, pizza at supper time. Pizza Pasta. But unlike the first film where the kids sound very natural and the lines are coming from within... Every single one of his lines sounds like he was coached. Can I tell you for real, though, when this character walked in the first time and I didn't couldn't shake this thought the entire movie, the second he walked, he was like, I got another player for us. No problem. But he seemed like kind of shady about it. So when that kid walked in, I saw that kid. I'm like, oh, it's going to turn out it's a girl pretending to be a guy for some reason. Like that kid, he just looks like he's a girl pretending because because I think he's so hard pretending to be a guy, like yep. an Italian guy. Mm -hmm. It just seems unnatural. All sure. these boys have long blonde hair and from yes. behind are, look like girls and are not <laughs> don't, in Don't say from behind when you're talking about <laughs> oh, children I looking meant similar. I the hair <laughs> aspect to it. You're six, guys. From behind. It's all the same. I right, think guys? the audience Wait a minute. The audience knows what I Call meant. Call the police. The audience <laughs> knows what I meant. Yes, I think they did. Speaking of gay kids, though, <laughs> what's that look that Tanner and Lupus share in the hospital? Oh, my room good lord. Of love. Oh, my God. I, it's way too, either too long or too, like, like, that was, I was thinking about that. I'm like, that kid's smile is rough. Like, it just looks creepy when that, when Looper smiles back at him. Yeah. It's already kind of uncomfortable, but like when he has like, you know, that kind of fucking Joker grin, his lips pull like, apart. Did they specifically cast this kid in the movie, but not put him in the main part of the movie just for this nauseating storyline? Maybe this I mean, win one for the Looper Gipper bullshit. Maybe he was sick for real. All right, maybe, maybe he, he had, had lupus. lupus. Well, we're obviously two fucking geniuses there, buddy. <laughs> maybe the movie gave him lupus. <laughs> Is it meningitis? Scoliosis? Lupus? Is it lupus? But listen, I'm not going to tell you there weren't parts of this movie that I didn't like, Scott, because there were a couple of parts. I like, didn't hate it. Early in the movie when they show the montage of each of them trying to get money from their parents and lying oh, about I this trip. That. I thought it was, was really great. funny. Yeah. We see each of them in their home life, and there's a different gag about how much money each is asking for. We're right. It's funny. Yeah. Listen, when they bust in and that fat kid is on the toilet eating KFC, it's a great funny moment. He's sitting on the toilet eating KFC once they get into the I, hotel I, room. I thought that was maybe a little unnecessary, but... He's eating KFC in the toilet! It's a fat child on the toilet eating, eating KFC. You bet your ass. It seems a little weird to me, but... The idea of eating chicken while you're pooping is really gross. Pooping and eating should be separate tasks. They shouldn't be happening at the same time. Like you're some sort of fucking earthworm. Just digging through the you ground. You say that as if you've wrestled with this concept, as if you know someone that does that. And no, you had to it just it's somehow. Set I feel them like straight. anytime you've seen that shown anywhere or anything like that, like I, I don't know, I can't think of food while I'm, you know, smelling you or it? seeing poop. Where have you, you know? seen it shown? Like in movies, like in this movie, okay, where he's eating chicken on the toilet. Where have I seen it shown? I'm just saying it's We're funny. Just talking about it. Just, oh, well, <laughs> I thought you knew of some other. No, I'm saying they sh they've I th they've shown it in other movies. I can't think of any right now, but I've seen people eating on the toilet before. <laughs> in real life, in a mirror. What? It's the only way that you're going to get chicken that is finger licking good. Can we talk about the groundskeeper for a second and his whole part in this? And like, they <laughs> just took advantage of a, a mentally challenged guy. Obviously, basically. Scott. Yeah. It was the '70s. Yeah. 
But I mean, like everyone was abused. And the way he's playing this guy is like everything is wrong with him. Like he doesn't (laughs) even know how to wave. He's waving like this with his hand down. He's catatonic. He's. It's like they've trained one of the Awakenings guys to just say three words. Like Robert De Niro. Like if he was. Yeah. And the parents have no idea. They're completely oblivious. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but Amy noticed this. And she really got a kick out of it. When the parents give this handicapped man their children to go to Texas, yeah, they get in their cars and one of the cars reverses away. Down yes, the street. yes, what? I saw that. I was like, What's going I, on again here? to myself, I'm like, well, the 70s, right? Like people were just like, yeah, drive your car as fast as you want in any direction you want. Who gives a shit? Am I right? It's the 70s. <laughs> Let him drive backwards. Let him drive sideways. I don't care. Just get me there. So they're heading to Texas. They get there. And who do they meet? But motherfucking William Devane. Star of Payback. You and I both liked the movie Payback. Yes. And as soon as I saw Devane, I was like, oh, Scott's going to mention Payback. We've talked about the movie Payback. But most people know William Devane as being the star of the television show um, Knott's Landing. He's a big TV star. Right. For the life of me, I don't remember his mouth and teeth being so mutilated on that show. It's no, got like, both an overbite and an underbite at the same time. You know who's similar, I was thinking, like a today's William Devane, is Walton Goggins. You know him? Yes. He was on The Shield, but he's got Do kind I of know a, him? We discussed him when we talked about Major, Major League. Major League, that's right. But he's got a wacky mouth, You're too. Right. He's got like a big head of teeth. Think uh, Willem Dafoe as well. He looks mouth like one of those, shit. like, you know, Radio Shack used to have like the Robbie the Robot who would eat your coins. Put in your hand, he toss it in. Like his bottom jaw looks like it's just gonna flap open like that and accept coins. He's a ridiculous character. He's got the nerve to get pissed off at the kid because he's trying to imply the kid wasn't gonna look him up unless he needed him to be a coach. Right. Like you left that you've confirmed. He's a child. You, you left the kid at five. <laughs> yeah. So what? Like, what are you trying to prove here that that you're a shitty parent? Because <laughs> that's what you're getting. Well done. But what you haven't proven is what a great baseball player you are. Because that montage of 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 fucking just him doing baseball things is fucking it's ridiculous. Oh, I know, too. Like, like they keep cutting back to him. I'm like, are you ever going to make the kids do it? Like, yeah. it just seems like he's showing, like, that's this is how you feel the ball. Here's I played ball in look, my day. I mean, the, the music starts. He's throwing. He's catching. He can do everything. There's an old expression that has served me well. Do not shit where you eat. Or live. Do not shit where you live. Yeah, I like that better. I thought the this kid from New York, presumably, uh, from the East Coast, he at least says. I hate him. Um, who's supposedly this good pitcher who's like, what, we ain't got no rosin? We ain't got none of this? I'm like, you play stickball. You play with fucking whatever <laughs> you can get. And you're telling me that, oh, I need rosin. And like, this Ugh. clearly you have no understanding of what new york is like they're not (laughs) he's not playing for the fucking new york yankees he's playing in like the street in brooklyn eat the pasta but i tell you this was a period of time when the astrodome was new and was a big deal yeah so this was this made perfect sense but the suggestion again that anyone would chant let them play scott do you know where that was famously chanted another time I was at the 2002 World Series? All-Star Not World Star Series, game. All-Star Game, rather. Which ended in a tie. Yes. And they chanted, let, let them, them play. Let them play. Let them play! Let them play! Let them play! Let them play! I do have one issue with the baseball of this movie. Because it's pretty good. You see a lot of the outs. But the very first, uh, Tanner makes that catch at short... And it's supposedly on a line, and he catches it in midair, and it's it's an out. Yeah, it's it definitely hits the ground. Not only do you <laughs> see it hit the ground, you can hear it hit the ground. They didn't even bother to take the sound of it hitting the ground out. Now the umpires are going to look at this play. But Scott, you were alluding to the fact that all of this was going to change, and everything was going to be awesome, like the first film, once this ragtag bunch of losers got to Japan. I no, I didn't. You did. You said that to me. No. Tony Curtis takes charge of America's wildest export <laughs> when the bad news bears go to Japan. Regis is in this film. Yes, I I literally wrote Regis with an exclamation point in my notes. 
And that's Not all... even that I'm that crazy about Regis, but I was like, hey, there he is. Good to see Regis. And good to see the 70s are totally sensitive when it comes to the depiction and um, description of Asian people, especially the Japanese. Yes. Oh, wait a second. This is bad news bears, isn't it? They've started a worldwide epidemic of hilarity as they take on a new culture. It's very weird and unsanitary. Strangely enough, though, I really, you know, going into this, I, to use a phrase of the day, uh, I could tell this movie was going to be problematic. Um, <laughs> but like as it went along, I was actually kind of surprised that it wasn't more like tone deaf in terms of culture and which honestly I felt the same when we watched Karate Kid where I was like actually they handled that okay you're right and I'm not gonna lie to you I think a lot of it has to do with you may disagree with me the heart that Tony Curtis brings to this thankless role he really he's, uh, he's working his, his ass out. off yeah the movie's about him the, yeah. this movie is is about Tony fucking Curtis not yes. about kids not about baseball it's a down on his luck fucking guy trying to find Right. Redemption. Trying to Which find Which I'm anything. sure is shades of his real story at the time were like, I need a vehicle to be like a star And listen, again. is it perfect? Of course it's not. But he's doing his best. He's really working hard. And he's been married six times. Of course, he fathered Jamie Lee Curtis. By the way, most of the kids are gone at this point. Ahmed's brother, Mustafa, isn't that his name? Yes. Is not playing baseball. He's not part of the team. Nope. He's at just any babysitting point. him. Which is fine because they don't play baseball in the entire movie Not until the end, and then he's playing with them at the dirt lot yep. too. And I'm like, he's okay. a device that captures Tony Curtis's heart. Humanizes and and it. honestly, it's the best part is the relationship between the two of them. I agree, is great. But Bear. because it's a bad news bear movie, these kids are instantly trusting of him. They'll go anywhere with him. Go to Japan with him. He's a stranger. Marvin, if I take off my shoes, I'm gonna get an athlete's foot. Well, that'll be the only part of you that is an athlete. Uh, and you know what? Another thing that doesn't work for me in this movie is the uh, announcer who keeps making gags about ice skating the entire time. <laughs> At the end during the yeah, big game. during the game, and it keeps cutting back to him being like, so, you know, if this were ice skating, which it's not. It's like, so it's not weird. ice skating. Uh, you know, they don't even really set up the fact that he's a noted ice skating right. announcer. All they have to do is a, uh, mention that earlier, because I feel like, I, I don't know, maybe they did somewhere in there. I, I missed it. We talked about right. the karate demo. They're then in the wrestling ring where a match is happening and no one is in the audience. Yeah. Antonio Inoki, who's considered a hero in Japan. He's been like a wrestling legend. He's the Hulk Hogan of Japan. Yeah. He's got these movie star good looks. Talk about an underbite, though. But you got him throwing kids in this scene. He's throwing kids down. They're jumping on his back. He's flipping them over. Yeah. He's, he's injuring children. Yeah. It's the 70s. I love the Japanese people, but there's only one Japanese I don't like that's a no kid. Wrestling match, and of course, the variety show. Yeah, which was so strange. And these scenes went on forever. And again, and we talked a bit about the relationship between him and the other coach, but the, the, it really starts there in that scene with the variety show where he's uh -huh. like, no, I see what you're doing there. You're trying to make a fool of him, and you're yeah. trying to, I know enough about TV that you're not, you know, like, it's, how would you know that? How would you possibly know that you don't speak Japanese? There are no subtitles. No one is translating for this for you. And you're telling me just by watching a guy who knows nothing, literally nothing about the Japanese culture. He didn't know to take his fucking shoes off yeah. on the way into the place. But you're telling me you can just sense that this guy is trying to make a fool out of him. You feel like the whole scene was set up so we as Americans could laugh at Japanese people trying to sing in English. Yeah. Oh, their dating makes me sick. Between the two of them... Him and the coach? <laughs> it culminates to them hand-jobbing each you, other. What do you say we go to Cuba? Huh? Then, yeah, then it culminates to them hand-jobbing <laughs> each other as they watch their teams spontaneously play in the sandlot. No, but I'm talking about the dating between Kelly Leak and the Asian girl. Uh, yes. That's like the Karate Kid Arika, part two. I believe her name Arika. is. Okay. Amazingly, he mentions teeth to her, which should be the last thing he talks about is anyone's teeth. Yeah. But their dating is like... These sweeping shots of Japan. They're on a bridge, water. Japanese lilies. and <laughs> Like I'm looking at the last emperor here. Yeah. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. 
I want to say about the teeth thing, uh, I thought it was kind of funny, because as you mentioned, he's got horrible teeth, right. so even when she's covering her mouth, yeah. and he's like, why are you doing that? Don't cover your mouth. you got nice teeth. I, I thought it would be funny. She's like, no, I'm telling you, you <laughs> should cover your mouth, because your mouth is horrible looking. Okay, I get it. I have bad teeth. Also, he walks up to uh, Tony Curtis at the end, one of the guys who tells him that he's putting the big bet on him or whatever, and he's like, he was like, oh, looks like we should have sent a manager instead of just ball players. Like, yes, yes, you should have. Are you out of your fucking, like, why are you saying that now? Like, it took you the entire movie and all this shit happening for you to stop and go, maybe that wasn't such a <laughs> good idea. all of these films, someone needs to help these children. <laughs> right. And they're just watching it happen. And then right at the end, it's like, huh. Maybe we could have handled this differently, what do you say? A man so desperate to make a buck that he did the unforgivable. Tackle Japan's national hero. Scott, I've been so proud of Phil's performance when he's been in the studio in the last two episodes for Thor and Star Wars Yeah. that I decided we would reward him. I bought Phil a ticket to Japan. Oh! Just like this third film in the trilogy... But I have a very big surprise in store for him at the end of his trip, right before he comes home. Oh, what is it? Well, why don't we listen? Oh, okay. I'll be surprised. Hey, folks. Phil here. I'm coming to you from Japan, where I've been for the past week, taking in the sights and enjoying the cuisine. And what a week it's been. I can think of no better way to close out the trip than seeing a Japanese professional wrestling match. As a longtime fan of pro wrestling, this is a dream come true. So thank you, Scott and Vin, and uh, I didn't get hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, our next fighter to challenge the champ hails from the United States. When he steps into the ring, it's bad news for the other guy. Introducing Phil the Thrill Casal. Oh, come on. Well, I've been kind of training my whole life at this moment. <laughs> I mean, it's not, not physically, but it's all about the attitude. It's all fake. How bad could it be? Oh! Oh, my eye! He got me right in the eye. Oh, I can't see. Judging by the crowd's reactions, it sounds like he's on the turnbuckle! Oh, oh, oh. Hey, come on, give me a break. No, 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 put me down. Put me down. No, no, no. Oh, stop spinning me. Please stop spinning me. I don't think he speaks English. Whoa! Oh, what happened? What? Am I on the floor? He's got me a chair. Huh. Nice guy. Oh! That, that was surprising. Yeah. 70s Japan. Yeah. Scott, what do we think of these films? I think you should probably give me an order. I mean, I'll just flat out give you the order. I, I'm going to say a one, two, three. Oh, really? I think I'm just going to say straight down just because... I mean, it's tough between two and three. Obviously, the first one's the best one. No um, question, no question. It's the best... You can't even say the first one's the best version of that movie. It's the only version of the movie. It's the good one. The second one has no math out. You still have most of the same kids. But again, I like the way they sort of ended it. I thought it wasn't the worst idea to try to continue mm -hmm. this story without math out. And I like the end where you do get to see... The Some baseball, baseball. Is, is well done at the end. There. Sure. Not much, but you see a little bit, and it's actually treated with care and respect. Um, okay. And then the third one is flat out terrible, except for Tony Curtis. One, two, three, unsuccessful trilogy. Unsuccessful trilogy. Okay. I think this movie so much mimics what we saw in Smokey and the Bandit. It's a yes, 70s movie I, I agree. that's very specific to the time and place. And then as time went on, the second movie was a retread of the first one, unsuccessful. And the third one was so strange, so off the charts, inexplicable, that it left you scratching your head. So I think that those movies line up very well. Yeah. But there's one difference. I thought that Tony Curtis's role was so interesting and winning, and I liked him so much in the third movie. I am going to look at the third movie as a pure, pure comedy, laugh at how terrible... Some of it is, and how crazy it is. And I'm going to go one, three, two. 70s. So, unsuccessful. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah. All right. Um, make sure you check us out on Instagram. Great compliment to the podcast. So yes. much of what we talk about here, we mirror on Instagram, and we add our own great memes and jokes there, too. Scott's got uh, our Twitter account fired up, and we're, 
we're asking you for what, Scott? What are you doing there? We're posting all, you know, trilogy-related information, any news that's coming up. We do polls and stuff, you know, just asking about your favorite movies, get your opinion on stuff. A lot of good podcasts out there. I've listened to a couple of things there. Um, so, yeah, cool to be in this community. I'm enjoying interacting with all you out there. So keep yes, it up. Yes, indeed. Keep it up. Yes, indeed. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Have a great night. Play ball! All right, Scott. Oh, it's I told the end. You, I guess you wouldn't say. I told that you you could say that at the beginning, but I should have said it at the beginning. I forgot. I threw it in. Uh, how about? How about? Um, You're out of here. Or we could just leave in the middle of like the last inning, like a lot of people do. The